This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the insurance industry. Sharing their personal journeys, their inspirational stories, and answering the questions we all want answered. You're listening to Raj and Katie. We really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And quickly before we get started, we wanted to apologise for the sound quality of this podcast. We were in a slightly different room and unfortunately had a bit of background noise, but we hope it doesn't impact your experience listening in today. So today we're lucky to be joined by a lady who needs absolutely no introduction. With over 20 years experience in the industry, co-founder of the Women in Protection Network and a driving force for diversity in financial services. Winning Woman of the Year at the recent Women in Financial Advice Awards and Insurance Leader of the Year at the Women in Finance Awards, welcome Rose St. Louis. Thank you. What an amazing introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. A bit nervous no, now. <laughs> Don't be, we'll be nice. Um, thank you so much for joining us on the Risk Emits podcast today, Rose. We really appreciate it. Um, to kind of kick us off, let's start with you telling us a bit more about yourself and, and your journey and how you got started in the insurance industry. So if I take you right back to the beginning, the wonder years, shall we say, um, I, um, I'm i the second daughter of two immigrant parents. Okay. My mum is from Jamaica, my dad's from Grenada. Um, they both independently came to London, met, fell in love and had two girls. So I started my life um, living in a one bedroom flat in North London with my mum, my dad and my big sister. Um, But I only stayed there for four weeks and then we went to Luton. Uh, My mum, very stereotypically, was a nurse. My dad at the time, very stereotypically, worked for London Underground and then ended up um, at British Telecom. So the good thing is they're both retired and they both retired early. They both retired at 57 on on nice final salary pension schemes. Of course, of course, of course. Um, And that's when a job was for life, you know, back in those days but um but you know it wasn't it wasn't easy um we we didn't have loads of money we weren't living on the bread line I'm sure my mum and dad would tell a different story (laughs) and and the reason they may tell a different story to the one that I remember is because I and my sister were brought up in an environment of of love Mm -hmm. and and you know, family. I'm really fortunate that, you know, my mum and dad were around for all of my childhood and are still around now. Um, don't I, I absolutely don't take that for granted. Um, and while they were so strict, like so strict, um, <laughs> we, I, I now can look back and think that was for my best interest. Yeah. But um, What was the strictest thing they did? Well, you know, I mean, they, they, they just wouldn't let us out. <laughs> you know, you know, kids in, you know, you're drinking in your life mid-teens and there'd be none of that happening where where (laughs) Hilton and Dorian St. Louis involved no no they weren't having any of that um but but you know they they knew that it was it was always about education it was always about study um and you know my sister was super super academic I I did okay Mm. you know I described myself as a strong B plus a minus student yeah. as opposed to an A star student which my sister was so when you're the second child following that that's never easy uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah right it's, yeah. it's not easy is it <laughs> um, but um 
but you know and they, they were really supportive around education and school and it was always they would always say you know you, you need to just hit them with the books Rose hit okay. them with the books okay. that was the way to compete that was the foundation it was all around education and study and being credible and qualified because that's the platform yeah. that you will create for yourself to, to propel forward mm-hmm. so 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 I, I, I did I did the best I could um, but you know school wasn't necessarily the easiest place for me I did enjoy it and looking back um, sort of like you know from that um, that that primary school like up to the age of 11 that was a really interesting place to navigate being you know Luton where I grew up was very diverse yep. from you know Irish Bangladeshi Pakistani mm. black white yeah. and you know Afro-Caribbean as well as African it was really really diverse yeah but I went to the the Catholic school which wasn't um, it wasn't particularly diverse from an ethnicity perspective. It is more now. Sure. Um, I've, I've been back since, but it wasn't then. So being the only black girl in the class and maybe one of three in the year, um, you know, people don't look like you all the mm-hmm. time. But And you become very used to that mm-hmm. after a while. But, you know, I, I was I, I was actually bullied a bit at school. Okay. Um, and um, I tell this story when I go into schools and I speak to kids and um, I say I was bullied now it could be because I was really tall could be because I was a bit chubby because I was Um, it could be because of the colour of my skin or it could be because kids are mean because they are so I would never attribute it to anything but and I think that if you're a white boy or a white girl you can still get picked on as well whether you're fat or thin it's just part of going through what you go through but um one of the things that um a positive to take out of that is that at that young age even though I didn't know it you I'm building resilience yeah sure which really sets you in a good stead for when you move through the next steps of education and into the world of work. So, yeah. you know, I'm not saying it's a great thing to be bullied, absolutely not. But, you know, as long as you can take some positives from, from your experience, it, it just allows you to, to move past some of those yeah. things. It equips you for skills later in life. It absolutely does. And, um, and, and also thinking about that now and thinking about some of the things. So I, I remember really, really clearly um, my parents going to parents' evening And um, one of my teachers, Mrs. Ghent, turned around and said, Mr. and Mrs. St. Louis, I don't know what I'm doing to Rose, but every time I ask her to read out loud in class, she bursts into tears. Oh, really? I was so petrified. And what I now know is my imposter syndrome Mm. just had a firm grip of me when I was 9, 10, 11 years old. I was so scared of opening my mouth and speaking and I, I was just really, really scared. Um, and and again, looking back on it now, I can I can see that's what it was, and I know what the coping strategies are that I put in place in order to, to yeah. manage that, to, yeah. to come and do this podcast yeah. with you, to to, to speak on um, you know Sky News, to yeah. do like a radio interview. Yeah. Um, but it's like night and day that the, the, the little girl I was and the person I turned course. into. But if you hadn't have had those struggles yet, would you have had the confidence to ever, would you have had to have developed that conf- confidence to ever actually go on to do things like Sky News and come on podcasts and things like that? 
maybe not. Exactly, and I think that that whole parallel between confidence and yeah. and and courage is is really really interesting, mm-hmm. okay. and how that manifests itself. You know, so people do tell me that I'm a confident person. Yeah. Um, and um, I listened to a podcast actually yeah. just recently, um, and it was about um, authentic gravitas, and it was a, an LSE podcast, okay. and um, it was talking about. Um, confidence and how we see leaders as being really confident Mm. and when um the woman who was delivering the podcast was talking about the research that she'd done um she said that when they ask these leaders um if they're confident Mm. and if they feel confident they said yeah sometimes and in the times that they don't feel confident they're substituting courage Mm. and I think that's really really interesting because we don't all feel confident at the same time time, we don't you know (laughs) but when we don't feel confident we have to feel courageous and I think the courage comes out of our values and our integrity and that allows us to find the energy to move forward and step into a space where maybe you feel a bit vulnerable that self-reflection that self-awareness of your own resilience and in tough times, I think it's something that really does build that courage because you, you you realise that you are capable of surmounting those sorts of challenges and that you'll be able to do it again. And I guess maybe that sort of feeds that courage to, to enable you to sort of carry that resilience forward into the rest of your life. So true. I mean, whenever I'm going to speak um, at an event or even just have a coaching session with, with a mentee or, or, or do a one-to-one at work or, or whatever, I do. I, I sit down and have a little think um when it's a main stage event you know i will take myself off to a space i will breathe i will Mm -hmm. slow down my breath because i speak really quickly if you hadn't noticed (laughs) um but when you're delivering to a room full of people you can't speak at the pace that i speak at normally because they won't hear it Mm -hmm. so i have to go and i have to you know use your coping mechanisms take yourself back down to a place feel and then when you when you get to a calm place then think okay I've now got to deliver and you know and you now have to go into that persona that delivers and I do I'll stand in the ladies bathrooms and I'll put my hands on my hips and I'll power pose I I will I will and I don't care who sees me Mm. because if that's what I need to deliver that's what I'm going to do developing that courage yeah absolutely and I don't mind if people mock me Um, I I really don't because I'm past that now I think if it was the first or the second time I think oh I can't do that but if I know it helps me then then that's what I'll do yeah no fantastic so something we touched on before was um, diversity uh, in school um, and and you are a, a spokesperson for diversity and inclusion uh, in, in the financial services industry and you've worked you know as an advisor in asset management platforms insurance talk to us about your your work around DNI in in the various kind of um, industries that you've worked in the areas over the last few years so I would say my experience with diversity has become deeper um, in the transition of time and it's I've probably only become aware of it that the terms diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. over the last three to four years um, and and I think even though I've worked in financial services for all of my career to date I've worked in different sectors so I talked right. about being a financial advisor yeah. you know I've worked in asset management distribution I've worked in the platform space and I've worked for a couple of insurance companies and it's different Each sector has a different angle and a different lens on on their diversity and inclusion experience and and how that manifests itself in its sector. And I think it could just be the age and the tenure of those Mm -hmm. sectors. If you think about insurance, it's a really 
long stay deep deep sector yeah. yeah and if you think about something that's a bit more tech or you yeah. know asset management's not that old compared to something yeah. like insurance yeah. so you know it's it takes a while for that culture to, to to kind of like manifest itself um and you know I remember when I was younger and I was a financial advisor and I'd go to different events and different awards black tie awards we all know the ones mm-hmm. um and I remember hearing stories and seeing like you know women being slapped on the bum or you know having their breasts grabbed or you know I remember seeing it I remember people talking about it I remember no one doing anything about it because mm-hmm. it's just what happened right mm-hmm. if you happen to be the one in however many men that, that went to an event, then you just have to, you know, hope you made it out alive. <laughs> not quite, but you know, you, you know, sometimes you bump into this stuff yeah. or not. Yeah. Um, so that blatant sexist behavior, yeah. you know, in the early part of my career, I absolutely saw. I think transitioning through, and, and today it's different. And I cannot 100% say if it's different because it's, if it's different because I'm more senior so I don't see it, or if it's different because the movement around diversity and bad behaviour is such that that stuff doesn't happen as much. But it has evolved, and what I mean by that is it's less overt sexism and more implied biases and microaggressions. And the difficulty around microaggressions is normally only the person that's receiving them, hears it. Yeah. So if you're in a group and someone's saying something um, derogatory about women, but in a microaggression like, oh yeah, sure, but you know, that's that's you, you've done so well, darling, to get to get where you are, and and that was a great presentation, yay you, but that man would not use those words to another man who's just done a presentation. Mm. Um, it'd be like, nice one, that's great, well done, high five, let's go and get a beer. Now, <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stretching mm. the conversation, but you mm. can see the difference. Yeah. And, you know, if someone wants to give me a verbal pat on the head and say, well done, I, I'm offended by that. Yeah. I've mm. worked really hard, I've delivered my presentation, I may have won the business, uh, you know, Give me the same recognition sure. and speak to me in the same way that you're going to speak to anyone in the team. I don't need any special treatment, especially if you think that special treatment is favourable. I'm insulted by it. Mm. You know, I, I don't need to be called love or darling mm. at yeah. all. And it happens a lot. Um, and when you say, actually, that language isn't really appropriate yeah. or can you not do that? And then if someone takes offence to it, it's like, oh, just kidding. You can hear the male female voice thing here, haven't you? No, just, just kidding. Don't don't take it so seriously. You know, it's all a bit of banter, and you know, banter's fun. Yeah. Um, and and it's fun when both people are laughing. Mm. If one person isn't laughing, then it's not funny. Yes. Um, and I think that you know, when it comes to the microaggressions and the implied comments that really do you know undermine people and it's not just women it's not just women um but you know certainly my experience of receiving and observing um is is it's not good so you know calling that out is really important and how do you how do you suggest um women particularly more junior women um but also uh male colleagues who may see this behavior happening how should we be calling calling this out so I'm really pleased to say that I do see, on occasion, um, women, I'm, I'm going to say it, and then you understand why the sigh comes, standing up for themselves, yeah. right? Okay. You, you know why the sigh <laughs> yeah, was yeah. there. Um, 
and and when when they're spoken to inappropriately i see women saying you know i, I prefer you didn't use that language in front of me um i've seen men saying mate can't say that don't do that yeah. which yeah. is great because that's you know it's the observer that is in the best place to call out bad behavior because yeah. when you've received those words it's really hard to recover mm. and put yourself in a really calm place to address it yeah. um, and also I've seen people who've been in a situation where something has happened that they're not comfortable with from a values and a cultural perspective and language and they've come to me afterwards and said this happened I'm not very happy about it what should I do so yeah. it's around what are the words so you know if you're an observer it's just kind of like wow not really comfortable with that that yeah. you know that comment or are we are we are we still allowed to say that mm. um yeah. or yeah. um you know yeah. when it's happening to you and, and things that I say are um I, I, I don't I don't find that that funny sure you know I'll say I don't I don't actually find that funny I, I'm actually a bit offended by that um and I would prefer if you didn't use that kind of language, not just directly to me, but in front of these colleagues, yeah. which always, you know, then you hear the pin drop in the room because everyone feels really uncomfortable. <laughs> but do you know what? I'm uncomfortable with that comment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and, and nine times out of 10 when that happens and I've said that, they don't say those things again. No. Yeah. And, and hopefully they think twice about saying, saying any kind of remark that could be felt as sexist yeah. to any other women. I think that's really important because often, it, particularly you know, if you've been in the industry for a while, obviously we're seeing change now, quite rapid change, those habits are hard to break and it, it's almost sort of unconscious how um, prejudiced, or prejudiced, maybe not the right, how weighted those specific terminology can be because language is so important it is. to your yeah. potentially offending people just walking around spraying words out that yeah. will offend people yeah. and never be never be aware of it yeah. and language yeah. is dynamic as well yes. it keeps changing you know um i remember as a kid watching eastenders i don't watch anymore but not for any particular reason even if it's still on um, <laughs> but i remember watching eastenders and for anyone who who goes back to eastenders from the start there was um there was a black family on albert square and um one of the boys that used to roll with with sharon um, um she was the blonde yeah. one yeah um was kelvin Okay. And if you go back to really early episodes, you'll hear him being referred to as the darkie. Oh, <gasps> so, so for the sake of everyone listening, we have shocked faces here. <laughs> um, but, but that was acceptable. You know, yeah. you go back and you look at old films, you know, and the language yeah. is acceptable. Now, it, it's, it's shocking to hear that today, but it wasn't shocking then. And that's, that's what I'm trying to bring to life. Yeah. Language is, is dynamic. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for, for someone of a, an Afro-Caribbean origin, my skin's a little bit lighter. Okay. And my mum has really, really fair skin. Okay. And because she's got um, like great grandparents that were Scottish and she actually carries a really, really light gene. Um, so I remember, and my dad's quite dark, I remember going into school after parents' evening and someone saying to me, oh, Rose, I didn't know you were half-cast. Half-cast? Half-cast. So let's, let's park that terminology just for a second because at the time, that was acceptable terminology, okay? And I'm not scared to say it because I'm not labelling anyone with that language. Mm. I'm, just, I'm just recounting a story mm. for you. So let's park the terminology. So because 
my mum looks really fair and my dad looks really dark that's the that that that's what they say you know and and of course as like a, a 12 year old I don't actually know what that means mm-hmm. the yeah. funny thing about that story is I go home and I'm like mum mum what what's what's half cast what is that and she's furious where have you heard that language I'm like well you know someone said that to me at school after seeing you and dad at parents evening yeah what I now know she was angry because people thought she was white (laughs) (laughs) yeah bless her but she does look really fair um but of course when you're a kid and you're just grown up you know your mum's your mum your dad's your dad you know it doesn't really matter whether they're black white gay straight doesn't matter that's just, just you know whatever sure You've reached the end of part one of our chat with Rose. Tune in next week for part two, where we will be discussing workplace biases, mentoring and the things to consider if you're looking for a mentor. And Rose gives us her top three networking tips. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so via our Twitter account at Risky Mix. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions. And if you know any inspirational women in the industry who you think would be great for the Risky Mix podcast, get in touch. See you next week.